We are today launching into a four-week series called Reaching for the Lost. This is planned from months ago because of our Thrive Plan. Remember that? We're going to have three emphases from our Thrive Plan. One is to reach for the lost. Another is to reach for Christ. And the last one is to be reaching the next generation. So we're going to take three months and work on that. We're going to spend this month on reaching for the lost. That begins today, July 10th. 2022, and if the Lord waits until then, and if he permits, it's going to end Sunday, July 31st, 2022. I'm doing the math here with you. That's four Sundays from now, 22 days, including today. And if you like, by the way, you can uh, set a countdown timer. There's an app for that. It'll count it down for you, and you'll be in touch with that. These past two weeks, not even full weeks, have been challenging in some ways, especially because we have had to say goodbye for now to three members of our church family, Joyce Bailey, Alice Mitchell, Dwayne Short. In fact, the the flowers on the stage today are from Dwayne's services this past Friday. And it's good that we gathered and that we reflected on their lives. It's good also when our reflections on people include the way that they love Jesus and that their lives demonstrated that. And it is also good because it sends us reflecting on our lives from now forward. So we've been in some cemeteries over the last couple of weeks. When you go to cemeteries and, and look around, I like to do that. I like to, to look at stones there and think about the, the stories behind people there. And when you're looking around, you'll notice also there are usually some headstones over plots that are not yet occupied. They're prepared, but not occupied. There may even be a headstone for them that hasn't been finished. Have you ever seen one of those? Eight years ago, members of my family gathered at the little cemetery in Lowell, Indiana, where many generations of Nichols are buried. And we were there to intern the remains of my aunt, Norma Jean Nichols, alongside my grandfather, Bert Elmo Nichols. He was not a Muppet, all right? Now, I had visited that plot before, and I had seen that stone before. In fact, for some 50 years, that headstone had been there reading like it did. It had Aunt Norm's year of birth on it, and if you see the picture, it it has then a blank space at that time. That's because for some 50 years, Aunt Norm was still alive. Just the same, there was already this tombstone with her name on it for all those years. Now, why did they do that? Why do they do that on tombstones? Well, they didn't finish it because no one knew the date that she would die. She was still alive all those years. But there was also a tombstone with her name on it because they knew that one day, guess what? She would die. In Diamond, Missouri, in the Moses Carver Family Cemetery, that's the farm where George Washington Carver grew up, 
George Washington Carver, who was adopted by the Carver family, and he grew up there. And his adoptive father, Moses, is buried there, and the headstone over his plot reads like this, Friends and strangers, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death to follow me. I guess that appears on some other headstones too. I heard someone made a reply to that. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> but I've heard that. I've heard that inscription over the years, and that has stuck with me. Because from the day that you are born, if Psalm 139 is accurate, and it is, from the day that you were born, the clock begins ticking. The countdown begins. There is the day, the date that you are born. That's the starting date. Then there's that dash in between. That's the living time. And then there's that blank space yet to be filled in. There was a king in the Bible, good King Hezekiah whose final date was given to him by God. Remember the story in Isaiah chapter 38? God says to Hezekiah, Hezekiah, get your house in order. This illness that you have is going to take your life. His clock was winding down, and this really troubled him. So he prayed that the Lord would extend his life, and in Hezekiah's case, guess what? He did. God told him, 15 years, I've listened, 15 years, I'm going to extend your life. You ever thought about that, though? To know that in 15 years, it's done. Do you imagine after 14 years at the New Year's Eve party that King Hezekiah joined into the Auld, Loud, Auld Lang Syne song, that one that no one knows the words of? Do you suppose that he joined in singing that that year? Probably not. Most of us don't get to know the date of when we're going to die, but we do get to know this certainty. We do get to know that we're going to. Death is the destiny of every man, Ecclesiastes 7.2. It is appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9.27. At the beginning here, I detailed to you the length of this series because four Sundays from now, 22 days from now, including today, if Jesus has not yet returned, and if we are allowed to still be here, every one of us is going to be 22 days closer to heaven or hell. 22 days. And I know that if you live, oh, say to be 76, that's 27,000 days. I've already passed 20,000 so statistically, I'm two-thirds of the way there. And I know that you might live longer than that. Most people, uh, you know, are going to go past that perhaps. No matter what, though, everyone is going to be 22 days closer to their last day here. 22 days when this series is finished on July 31st. And that is also true of everyone, by the way, who's not here today, of everyone who's not joining us online here today. You can't change that, but... You can affect where you will be. In fact, if you're not helping 
to change that in someone else's life. If you're a believer in Christ and you're not helping someone to be 22 days from now closer to heaven, then you're living in direct defiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If you're not somehow directing people to a life that's lived for Jesus Christ, you are defying the one who said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Amen? So when we talk about reaching the lost, It's four Sundays to focus on our Lord's commission for his church. Four Sundays to consider how we have the necessary focus or how we can have that focus to fulfill our mission and do more than just survive but thrive as God's people here. So when these 22 days are passed, I can't guarantee how much more focused you'll be on reaching others, but I am sure of this. There will be, at the end of these 22 days, 22 fewer days to share the good news. Your lost neighbor right now will have 22 fewer days to get it right. Your lost family member will have 22 fewer days. We'll be 22 days closer to forever without Jesus. Your friend from school or from work who doesn't know Jesus will have used up 22 more days of his or her total allowance of time, whatever it is. 22 days. For me, I'd like to know that 22 days from now, someone is closer to heaven because of something I'm doing. Wouldn't you like to know that? That's the goal here. It doesn't have to be somber. I'd like to be able to say in 22 days, somehow, somebody is closer to heaven. So I want us to to go to three places that we need to get it right. If we're going to get it done, I think there are three places in these next four weeks that we've got to focus on. One is our head, one is our hearts, and one is our hands. I can tell you that much is going to be unfolding over these weeks. One of the fast-growing trends of our culture is to leave out the head part of this discussion. Have you noticed that? Somehow discussion, logic, reasoning, debating doesn't seem as important as it used to seem. Words are losing their meaning. Truth is becoming defined by feeling and experience. And it's on that basis that people are stepping forward in life. And just winning a logical argument isn't going to be as effective as it once was. If the person that you're trying to reach for Jesus has a worldview that's based entirely on feelings and entirely on personal experience, then you're going to have to adjust the way that you get through to him or to her. The good news, though, is this. People are still using some kind of thought process for life. It might be abbreviated. It might be all posted online. It It might be messed up in some ways. It may be fueled by some really evil sources. But there is still some thought process. So I want to talk about some things we need to know. Knowing Jesus still involves 
knowing. And I am finding in the scriptures there are definitely some things that you have to know up here that I have to know if we're going to be able to bring people closer to Jesus so that 22 days from now they're closer to heaven. We're jumping into this head first today. There's six things that you have to understand to help people be closer to heaven. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly and they're going to appear up on the screen. There's the first one. First one you need to know is your personal need. If you're going to point someone to Jesus, you've got to start with the fact that you need Jesus too. Amen? If you haven't been convinced that you need a Savior, why would you think anyone else needs to be convinced of that? Paul didn't hesitate to remind the Christians of Corinth that they needed forgiveness through Jesus. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, there is one of a couple of lists of the kinds of people, he says, who will not make it to heaven. People who will not be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. You can look at it in 1 Corinthians 6.10, and it includes, you know, adulterers, the covetous, swindlers, thieves, drunkards. And then he says in verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't ever forget where you came from in your journey to Christ. Did you need a Savior or not? Your personal need is one of the ways that you can be reminded you're not alone in this. Others need Jesus just like you did and do. You ever been busy and, and you're intense and working along and suddenly you realize that you're hungry and then because you're hungry, it kind of registers in your mind that the person who's been working alongside you, well, that person might be hungry too. And so you look at that person and what do you say? Are you hungry? Now, what prompted that was your own hunger. Your realization that that's what you need. Isn't that one reason that we reach out to people with the good news of Jesus? We look at them and we look at what's going on in their lives and we get reminded of ourselves. So our story should include the part that we were lost. It should include our testimony of the way that we were in life and needed Jesus and met him. Isn't somebody going to listen to that good news from you a whole lot sooner when you say to them, you know what, you kind of remind me of myself. I used to have the same kind of struggle that you're having, or I used to have that same kind of longing inside of me that you seem to have or I I used to have that same kind of worry that you seem to be facing I was there till you're honest about your personal need of Jesus you won't have in your head what has to be there to help someone else closer to heaven so number one to help people know and meet Jesus Christ we need to understand our personal need here's number two that the point of it all is to bring glory to God. If you're going to point someone to Jesus, you need to understand the greatest reason for it is to bring glory to God. We've talked in past weeks about polls and the number of people in the United States that say they believe in the existence of God. Remember that? It's over 
of the people in the United States say they believe that God exists. But when you sit down and begin to find out the specifics about that God that they believe in, you realize that he is, in a lot of cases, very different from the God who is described in Scripture. And this secular God, created in our own image, is more like a table waiter. He's there to get us what we want. Or he's like a fireman. He's hanging around to put out our fires. Or he's like a grandpa, you know, who's there when you want to complain about how your life is and tell you it's all right. And when it comes to heaven, well, God exists so that we can live in heaven. That's why he's there. It's easy, isn't it? To get into that way of thinking that's very me-centered, even in the church, it's easy to get into that way of thinking. We warn people about hell. We explain to them how God wants to bless them, and we try to help them see what a good deal it is to become a Christian. Amen? And we describe heaven as the big gain that we get when we accept Jesus. As best as I can tell, every time the throne of God is described to us in the Bible, God is the one on that throne. And that throne is the center of attention. Have you noticed that? James and John's mother came with a request to Jesus that they could sit on each side of the throne, and Jesus made it clear, can't do that. Following Jesus isn't about drawing attention to us. Revelation chapter 7, the whole whole chapter of Revelation 7 describes all these creatures and people who are all around the throne of God. Great multitudes of people, a multitude of angels, and God is sitting on that throne, and the Lamb of God is there. And those who have remained faithful to God throughout the great tribulation, they are there around the throne. All these creatures and the elders and the people around the throne, and they're all in the picture there, but the camera is always focused on the throne. That's the center of attention. Heaven isn't just about people. Heaven is where God is. Sharing Jesus with people isn't just about saving our own necks so that one day we can make it to heaven, although those are certainly very motivating, aren't they? But this is all about bringing honor to God and about fulfilling what we were created to be and to do. That's the difference between our view of heaven being me-centered and being God-focused. Sharing Jesus isn't even about the people who will be saved. Remember one year at the preaching teaching convention at Ozark Christian College, Morgan Weiss, a senior that year, got up to share her testimony and she Uh, had talked about how her dad had influenced her and how he had really helped her to gain a heart for children in the inner city who needed Jesus. And she was telling how after her last year now at Ozark Christian College, her plans, she was preparing to go and minister to kids in some urban area as a vocation. But she said this, it's not just because of my love for the kids, it's because of God. It's because reaching those kids with the gospel brings glory to God. 
Love for God is the starting point. The rest is a result of that love. If we're going to bring people so that they are closer to heaven in 22 days, we're going to have to understand this. Somewhere along the way, people are going to disappoint us. Sorry. They're difficult response or their lack of response or maybe their hostility because of it is going to let us down. And when that happens, let's understand that ultimately this is all about bringing glory to God above everything else. That's the second thing we need to understand. A third thing to know is how to introduce someone to Jesus. This is rocket science, isn't it? If you're going to point someone to Jesus, you have to know how. And I am working from a presupposition this morning. I am working from the belief that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, like it says in Romans 1.15. I am working from the presupposition, like it says in Isaiah 55, that God's word, when it, is, when it goes out, will not return to him empty without accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. Still, there are a lot of people who don't know how to help someone meet Jesus. People who say, I would, I just don't know how to do it. Okay, first of all, two words. Disciple hour. Go to Brian Rodert's class on how to share your faith. That'd be a good way to start, wouldn't it? That's already available to you. And by the way, that starts right after we dismiss from here. And then, here we go, audience participation time. Show of hands this morning. Let me ask two questions. First of all, how many of you who are here this morning, and if you're online, you can raise your hand at home too, how many of you who are here this morning who are followers of Jesus became a follower of Jesus without anyone else telling you about Jesus? All on your own, you became a follower of Jesus. How many of you? Look around. Okay. Here's the second question. How many of you became a follower of Jesus because of the influence of at least someone else? One other person. Look. All right. I really took a risk asking those questions. So what you're saying is you became a, quish, a Christian at least in part because of someone else doing it right. Someone somehow helped you get there, right? What did they do? There you go. You already know what it takes to help someone meet Jesus Christ because you were there when that was done for you. You were there. You already know the story of how someone was one to Jesus. And it is the one story with which you're the most familiar because it's your story. Somebody had a hand in that. So don't say you don't know how to introduce someone to Jesus. You've already experienced that firsthand, haven't you? Yes, this was a trap. You were there when it happened to you. Go and do likewise. You do need to know how to help someone meet Jesus. Here's something else that you must know, and that is we need to know who is lost. 
I think some of the attitudes that we have about this show up by accident from us. One of them is that somehow, in the back of our minds, we have managed to create an idea that the need that we're speaking about this morning, the need for people to know Jesus Christ isn't as serious as it might have sounded. You know, back there. Maybe the situation isn't as serious as preachers try to make it sound, or maybe those people overseas, you know, those people in Papua New Guinea who eat grub worms, have never heard about Jesus at all. Maybe they won't be held accountable because they just don't know. Or maybe God doesn't really mean it when he says that everyone will be held accountable. Paul said in Romans 10, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We have to know these things if we're going to move people closer to heaven. Who is lost to start with? To start with, who is lost? Everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why there's a cross. And if that isn't true, then the cross is the biggest joke of history. So how long do we have? How long of a time is there to share Jesus with people who don't know him or even don't know about him? Here's how long there is. As long as I'm breathing, and as long as you're breathing, and as long as they're breathing. And as soon as one of those stops breathing, that opportunity is over. I doubt we'll use that opportunity if we don't know and believe that people without Jesus Christ are lost. Here's another truth that we have to know, and that is the reality of both heaven and hell. If you're going to point someone to Jesus, you have to know that heaven and hell are real. Do you believe it? Jesus had a lot of words to say about both. He said a lot to the crowds about hell. He was speaking to people who were lost and they needed to be faced with the reality of their future if they chose not to follow him. He was warning them to keep them from a place where he said there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What about people who have listened to him? What would they need to know about the reality of hell and of heaven? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to think about, know about the reality of heaven to encourage us. Amen? We were planning a trip to Naples, Florida last fall. I'd never been there before. And so we were looking at pictures of things to do and things to see around that area. And there was some help in looking at those things as we did the work of getting ready for that trip. Because it gave us something to look forward to. Some pictures, some, some ideas of what the experience was going to be like. Heaven is the same way. God has given us in his word some pictures, if you will, to look forward to. 
and hell, we need to appreciate the horror of hell, not just to motivate ourselves, but because we need to be motivated to keep people from it. I've heard in years past about preachers announcing a sermon title. A lot of them have done this over the years. They would preach a sermon title that went something like this. Five people I'd like to see go to hell. Really, and then they would preach on that Sunday and proceed to name five people in their church family they would like to see go to hell and come back. Why? Because they would come back so, no pun intended, on fire for the Lord that they would be dragging people away from it with serious fervor because they would put their personal gifts and their abilities and their assets and their energy to work for the sake of keeping people from going there. We're not helping people when we try to ignore or downplay the reality of hell to them. People outside of Jesus need to know that heaven and hell are real and that we need to believe it if we're going to share it with them. We need to know that. All right, one more thing that we need to know, and that is this, that Jesus is the only way. If we're going to point someone to Jesus, you have to know he is the only way for someone to be saved. You have to know this. You have to know this. If you don't know that Jesus is the only way for someone to be saved, will you do me a favor? Please don't share your faith. Did you hear me? If you think there is some other way that people can be saved apart from a real relationship with Jesus Christ, please don't bother telling that to someone else. Oh, wait. There wouldn't be a reason for you to tell that to someone else, would there? If you already think that without Jesus, they're going to be just fine, then you wouldn't have a reason to tell them otherwise, would you? If they really don't need Jesus, you really have no reason to share your faith, right? So let me ask you this. Could that be one of those back-in-the-mind things that keeps us from sharing about Jesus Christ? Could it be that in the back of our minds, in some deep corner, deep inside of us, we actually think people are going to be okay without Jesus? I pray that's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Peter preached, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Did he mean that? Why would we tolerate any other kind of idea? Maybe because it just sounds kind. If Jesus is not the only way for a person to live in heaven forever, then we are truly narrow-minded fools. But if Jesus is the only way, and we fail to make that known to the people who are around us, then we have become just like those who persecuted the early church. There's an interesting chapter in Ezekiel, of all places, where God sets forth a principle, even though it's hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Chapter 33, verse 2, listen to what he says. Son of man, 
Speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Okay? Get that picture? There's a watchman. He gives the warning, but some people don't listen. It's their fault. He heard the sound of the trumpet, did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Who's the watchman in this story? That's you and me. The ones who are supposed to be blowing the trumpet. You know, one of the meanest things that I could do to anybody today would be to lead you to think that without being completely devoted to Jesus, that your life or anyone else's life is just fine. It's not. 22 days from now, if you're still here, I'm still here. 22 days from now, you'll be 22 days closer to where you were going to spend forever. Where is that? You don't have to live under a cloud of fear and uncertainty. I hope that that's become clear. That you can change that even today. You can make a decision to change that today. I suppose you could wait 22 days from now. But I know that you have today. So let me say it in the clearest terms I possibly can come up with. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. You need to make that decision in your life. You need to make it if you haven't to this point. And this morning, if you're ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ, we would love to help you begin your relationship with him. We're going to sing a song here at the end. We set aside this time at the end of looking into God's word every week because it's not enough to just sit through a message. It's not enough just to hear it and listen and understand. Now we've got something to do with it. We need to make a decision about what will we do with these things. So if that means accepting Jesus today, we're inviting you to come. So just step down here to the front when we're singing a song, and I'm going to be right here and, and uh, today here in the building. You... You can be baptized into Christ. You could start a new life in him. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Don't wait 22 days, please. If you're online and you're looking at this and going, yeah, I need to do that, what do I do? Well, if you're able to uh, get here to us, that's great. But at least contact us online so that we can get to you. And, and contact with you can talk to you about your relationship with the Lord, how to become a follower of Jesus. The rest of you are like me, and that is you've accepted Christ. And in fact, this year, or this month, is the month that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And 
1972, which was 50 years ago this month. And we have something to do, don't we? We know up here that we've got things that we need to know so that we can help people become closer to Jesus Christ, closer to heaven in the next 22 days. Let's stand up together and let's pray together as we prepare for decisions to be made for the Lord. Father, right now we invite you to look in upon our hearts. You already see us and know us. You know our thoughts from afar. You know our words before they leave our mouth. But we acknowledge that uh, we need you to thoroughly know us. We need your spirit to be at work in us, to stir up first, Lord, in our minds this understanding of these things that we need to remember and to know about our own relationship with you, but especially as believers, our duty, Lord, our, our need to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today, the ones who will carry the message, who will blow the trumpet uh, for those who need to hear. God, some of them live next door to us. Uh, some of them we just see once in a while, but there are people in our spheres of influence that we can reach, and you've put them there intentionally. You've put us here intentionally. Help us to live it out. We pray for those who today have heard the message and are reminded, Lord, that heaven and hell are real, that this is about bringing honor to you, and that you need to be acknowledged as Lord in their lives. So now, stir up our hearts, our intentions, our plans, our actions to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.